1: Whatever you think of Rex Tillerson, the man, something has gone deeply wrong
0: in his tenure as Secretary of State. But I mean, this was not like a news conference, it was more like a hostage tape. Everything is a fight and every fight is public, so when the fight is public, you got to come out and you've got to make your amends in public.
2: Hello, and welcome to the first edition of Ask TrumpCast. Maybe it'll be the only edition. I don't know. We're going to see how it goes. Right, Virginia?
0: Yes, we are. We like to take chances, and uh, today's we're taking chances.
2: Here in the studio with me is Virginia Heffernan, the co-host of TrumpCast. Virginia, are you ready to take some questions from our listeners?
0: Yes, which also means tweeters. So sometimes they're a little disinhibited. And some of these questions are hard because they come from Twitter. I yes. Mean, you know, people don't mess around on Twitter.
2: And to Twitter is where the show is. We're, we're at Real RealTrumpCast. We're Twitter people, not Facebook people, like the president. <laughs> and uh, we got a bunch of questions on Twitter. And we got some questions on voicemail. And we even got a question by snail mail. We're going to answer as many of them as we can. They're great questions. but if you want to ask us a question, another way to do it is to show up at our live show coming up in San Francisco on November 14th.
0: We would love to see you. And I love getting, you know, when people stand in line and ask questions, they also don't pull punches.
2: The questions have been great. The questions in Austin were so good. I have to say these live shows have are, have been so much fun. I had such a good time with you and Jamal at the last one.
0: You know, it's re- it sounds really corny, but um, Trumpcast listeners are kind of great. They love the details. And they also you know, want the comfort, sort of comfort the show provides. Sometimes we stoke hysteria.
2: Let's flatter our listeners a little bit. They're people <laughs> who care about what's happening in the world, but haven't lost their sense of humor.
0: They're, that's exactly who they are. That's it. You can spot them a mile away. And I think you'll
2: get this from the, the questions. So just to get started, I'm just going to start throwing some at you at random, Virginia. A first one here. Who? From Jeffrey D., why do people feel confident that we will have free and fair elections in 18?
0: Shudder. That's at Jeffrey D. And he addressed this question to you at Jacob W.E. So I'm going to leave it to you, but I don't feel confident that we're going to have free and fair elections in 2018. That's the midterms. Do you?
2: Well, I mean, if you wanted to say something positive about it, you would say we're on to the Russian hacking and that Knowing what they were up to helped to check the Russians in the French election and the German election. I guess the other thing I would say is that their technique to date seems to be interfering in the process through fake news, propaganda, and social media rather than actually hacking the election. But As this news has been coming out, and I haven't followed every twist and turn, but it looks a lot more like there was hacking of the ballot system in some of the states, but that that hacking wasn't weaponized. So they may have had the ability to mess with the vote count, at least in some places, but that wasn't their method. I don't think we can have any confidence that that won't be their method in 18, I think, you know, I kind of want to go back to paper ballots.
0: Well, there is, has been talk, obviously, of going back to paper ballots. Has there, you know, we're talking about when free free and f- fair elections in 18, we're talking about a year from now, one year from now, Facebook is still showing up day after day with more evidence of propaganda, some of which is still on the site. Um, and I haven't seen talk of reform to the voting software or s- voting security that uh, remember reality winner <laughs> um, our leaker, you know showed us that there were at least efforts or it was possible to hack voting software. we have none of these reforms in place
2: and and Facebook is you know has been incrementally sort of acknowledging what happened, the way it was manipulated and used in the election, but it's still not taking any fundamental responsibility they're saying oh that's that's our algorithm that people took advantage of it's not us you know but facebook is its algorithm and algorithm is something that people create and you know i think going into 18 it's crucial that facebook take full responsibility for what happens on facebook We've got some more questions mm-hmm. to answer here. All right, this is from Nick Agazarian. I hope I said that name right. A- He's
0: at Blue Sotar,
2: but he wants to know who will be next to leave Sec Def, Sec trej, or COS, and those aren't the only ones. What do you think? Let's make some predictions.
0: Um, I well, I want to add to the, this multiple choice um, Sec state. We had a lot of, there's a lot of Rex news today.
2: Well, maybe calling Trump a fucking moron was not the best way of keeping his <laughs> job. He... It's a little bit of a, maybe he has a little bit of a death wish. he wants out.
0: He really said fucking? I yeah. didn't see, oh God. Yeah, it was well,
2: edited for the family newspapers, For the, but family the real viewers. quote was fucking moron.
0: But then he, he. but then we believe that he, or the, at least he took that back in, according to the New York Times and other family newspaper, he took that back or said it was fucking news. Sa- he
2: didn't deny saying um, it. He said he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to sully himself by answering a lot of specific allegations it was a very it was his (laughs) non-denial as you get
0: so um i think that for a man like rex tillerson used to running exxon being pushed around and put into that lapdog role that you know the trump seems to have jeff sessions in it's not going to sit well with rex tillerson forever he feels hamstrung everywhere he turns. I mean, he has an agenda, seemingly, but he doesn't have a department, which must be frustrating him. It's gutted. It's empty. And we had Steve Call on the show to say, in the very beginning, saying nothing was up at the State Department. I mean, it's just like tumbleweeds in there, and they can't seem to hire for it. And incidentally, that was ages ago we had Steve on, and nothing has changed. I don't know. I mean, I keep thinking I don't know anything about alpha males. I'm like an omega (laughs) female. So what do I know? But it does seem odd to me how many of them will take this take this kind of treatment and just be pushed around. Well, um, well,
2: there's a very simple algorithm, Virginia. Yeah. How much you're sucking up to him yeah. indicates how much you want to stay. Right. And how long you'll stay. So that algorithm w- would suggest that Tillerson will be next to go. Yep. Um, Gary Cohn will follow him. Probably, you know, I would say w- won't last a year. So you've and,
0: always made the, the – made you've always believed – and incidentally, I think you've been right so far about who's leaving and who isn't. But the Gary Cohn – just wants to be the Fed chair, and he'll stick around. and it was able at least on the neo-Nazi condemnation and the Jewish matters to stage some kind of principled op- objection to that while also but he just that fed his...
2: chairmanship goodbye. I mean, he's not I don't think he's I don't think he's he's aiming for that job anymore. I think he's aiming to survive for a year and get the hell out of oh, it. Oh you do. yeah, but why
0: survive for a year? Because he's the deep economic state. Remember that? Remember that hypothesis of yours? That was awesome.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that exactly. Um, I think, you know, I think he wants to be able to uh, take credit for something. I mean, I think he'd like to pass a tax bill and, you know, say, well, I accomplished it and now I can leave and I did something good. But, um, yeah, I don't see him sticking around long. And then, you know, um, Mattis, the secretary of, of defense and Kelly chief of staff, you know, these are not—these guys are not going to be around. I mean, these are not long-term appointments. I think everybody is thinking, can I survive a year here, protect the world for a little bit? The one who's going to not go anywhere is Sec Trej, that is— um, Seth Steve Mnuchin. Steve Mnuchin, the moral munchkin.
0: Seth, um, right?
2: No, that's Seth. Steve. That's Seth, that's the Seth Mnuchin, Mnuchin the journalist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, Steve, right. Who used to work for Newsweek. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's—I bet on him to hang around because he—this is— clearly what, you know, it feels incredibly lucky to have gotten this job, and he just wants to keep it. Yeah, Uh, Virginia, here's here's a question from Voicemail. Hi, this is Kevin in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, My question for the show is, what's it like to do a show like this every day? Is it a joy to take down and throw things in the face of a truly terrible human being? Or does it kind of add to your continual sense of dread of where our country is going with such an incompetent person in charge. I'd uh, love to hear your response. Thank you. And here's another one from Voicemail, kind of on the same theme. Hello, Trump cast I, I have a comment, a, a question for you. I feel compelled to follow the ever more disturbing developments in the Trump administration to the extent that I feel like I have taken on a second job with hideous hours and no benefits. My question
0: is, is this constant vigilance making the old or keeping me young, thanks. I can't, I what do you just, think, Virginia? You you <laughs> look eternally
2: you, you look eternally youthful youthful, <laughs> but uh, but are you? Is it making you old or keeping you young?
0: Okay, I think it is keeping me young, making me young again, and <laughs> that's because again, I think I've repeat I've said this on the show this late life civics lesson. You know, we've really understood citizenship. I think in a new way, all across parties, um, when we see challenges to norms at best laws at most serious when we see even impeachment resignation being talked about imprisonment being talked about that's when you start to wonder what is what are the norms what is this um system in place what is the executive branch meant to do what's the what's the legislation legislative branch meant to do and all that i can almost feel my brain growing on some days you know you you sit with a guest here and the you know, I I think of Bill Browder who's been on the show several times explaining what it was like to work in Putin's Russia and it's extremely eye-opening. I mean, it just um it, it, I don't know, there's nothing there's nothing better than being a beginner on a subject. It feels like interrogating parts of our lives that needed interrogating. Social media, citizenship, government, and that I feel like is what I'm live to do and I love hearing this question because you sound very alive I've got to say you know it's not always happy making but neither is you know trying to do a graduate degree in very difficult subject um and that's what this feels like
2: Yep, yeah, no she's the the um the caller is right I mean uh, no benefits long hours <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh and a lot of times it's very exhausting but uh you know the uh the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. You know, I think that's quotes usually attributed to Jefferson. Um, and uh, we're we're doing some vigilance here, and it kind of feels good to be vigilant. Feels like you're, you know, you you've you've woken up and you're you're facing the reality. So it's, um, I, I agree with you. The balance is unbalanced. It's energizing more than it's draining the um, this is from Patrick Moore. This is I know this topic interests you, Virginia. Trump mm-hmm. is obviously a disaster, but would we be better off with Pence, who is more intelligent and more ideological?
0: Um, you got to yes. choose right now. You want Trump yes. or Pence? Uh, Pence. You absolutely. Want so I wanted Pence. Pence. I've been I've been pro Pence since you know since it we came down to this desperate moment. Um, I don't know what we would be like with an elected president Pence, but what the installation of Pence in the White House would mean is that we had had a resignation and impeachment and that Pence would be in the Gerald Ford position of serving out the shift and trying to make the most of trying to bring back the fragments of the party and restore its credibility. Even the one issue that Pence, he's also notoriously terrible at, you know, passing legislation. And that was true in Indiana. And and I think he will be okay at ending the long national worse than nightmare that this currently is and um, putting the whole thing to rest. And he certainly won't get reelected. So an elected Pence, if he was, if we suddenly had a populace of, of you know, the voters suddenly thought that the, stopping the genocide of the unborn was the most important thing in the world, they agreed with Pence that abortion's all it is, that it was all about a Supreme Court appointment or just having a, you know, priggy ideologue in the in office. That would be a different America than the one we have now And that would be a dangerous combination, I think, um, for, you know, liberal values. But I think a Pence that serves out two years bowing and scraping and trying to, you know, gain back, you know, the trust of the republic or build, rebuild the republic and the party is not terrible and is much, much, much better than the Kremlin appointed president we have right now.
2: — Yep. I mean, I'll, I'll take that deal, too, because I think Pence, you know, r- reduces the non-negligible risk of nuclear war and of war in general. And, you, you know, you're back to having a sane person who you violently disagree with in office, and the Republicans survive that. Um, but uh, Pence just, you know, g- gets us the question, which everybody always asks, and today we get it from at Moldy Warp. That's a jolly handle on Twitter— uh what do you guys think is the probability of impeachment?
0: Um We have the impeachometer. I will say at um, Slate. Has it been running regularly? Yeah,
2: where is it now? I haven't checked the last couple of days I
0: haven't either, but it's it's um you know it's utterly arbitrary, but it but it does include um the factors that determine where the needle moves on it. It bears a little bit, you get a little PTSD from looking at a needle because you're reminded of the um, deeply misleading, terrifying needle that the New York Times used to have on its front page predicting that Hillary had a hundred percent chance of winning. So I don't really like to look at needles and impeachometers, <laughs> um, but um, but I, I, it's been over half for over 50% on that thing for a long time. I know I'm dodging dodging the question of what do I think? I think, and you know, Please remember that, you know, we try to just ask the questions that Trump cast um, and and then know,
2: answer them. We also answer them.
0: We answer them sometimes. Right. Well, I, I, I will say almost every you know guest gets off the mic and just has no idea about when impeachment's coming or if it's coming. And people, uh, you know, bright people disagree about this. The best I can do from the data gathering I've done, both with sources who know and people, you know, the shows you guys have heard, is that he will resign following indictments of people around him and possibly in his family and the threat of laundering emoluments charges especially in new york city
2: that is such a um positive scenario which i do not um see happening at all i mean i i think you know trump's you know hands will be pried off the the white house gates and the question is you know if if impeached and convicted, would he would he leave voluntarily? But well, you've
0: written a lot about this, not from the point of view of asking the questions, but answering them. You had that piece in uh, in the New York Review of Books. Tell me summarize that for me, because who's going to read the New York Review? Of
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, very much about the grounds for impeachment and what you, can you impeach Trump for and what can't you impeach him for, you know, and Noah Feldman, and uh, who I wrote it with, and I take the view, you know, first of all, that you can't impeach someone for prior crimes. So you really can only impeach them for what they do in office. And secondly, it's very important to understand that impeachable offenses are not necessarily criminal offenses per se. And the criminal offenses are not necessarily Impeachable offenses. So, you know, if the if the president got picked up for drunk driving, you know, it wouldn't be impeachable and it probably wouldn't be prosecutable in any way until he left office. Um, But the political question of whether he'll be impeached is separate from the legal question of what would be the grounds. And look, I think it's all about 2018. I think if the Democrats win the House by a single vote, they move ahead with the investigation and impeachment proceeding. I think articles of impeachment almost certainly follow pretty quickly on that. And if they don't win the House, Doesn't happen. But even if they do win and even if they do vote articles of impeachment, which I think would be pretty well justified, even pending what we find out from Mueller, I think we have enough grounds on the basis of conflicts of interest and emoluments and basically other anti-democratic actions Trump has taken the Senate, the Republican Senate is not going to convict him and he wouldn't be removed from office. And in that scenario, I think I, I can't imagine him him leaving voluntarily.
0: Um, so you guys have your answers. We both we, we disagree a little bit. I did. Jacob, did you just Jane, you ignorant slut me? I think you kind of did. you were just like, <laughs> that's not happening. Um.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, wait, but where do we disagree? What's the part?
0: That well, you I think th- you think that resignation is unlikely, yeah. even if Schneiderman and and Mueller start really closing in on him. Either with New York crimes or pre office New York crimes, or with obstruction, collusion. I know that those are not indictable offenses yet, exactly. But if he senses that this is, you know, going to look bad for him or going to be uncomfortable, you know, Tony Schwartz, who we've had on the show, says he'll resign and play it as a as a victory.
2: Well, what's the art of the deal here? You know, the if if Trump is really worried about being prosecuted, depending on what Mueller turns up. His interest is is as with Nixon and Ford, having a successor who will pardon him. He can't. Mm. He really he can't pardon himself. I think that's that's clear. He can pardon members of his family, which would in turn be a clearly impeachable right. action. But but he could do it, and the and the pardon would stand. But I don't know if that's how it'll play out with Trump. We just don't know. But but the, but the big the big hinge will be the twenty eighteen election. Because without control of the House, the Democrats can't have a real public investigation. They can't bring articles of impeachment. you got to control the committees. And if they don't, nothing happens.
0: It's a Yeah. So it goes back to, will there be free and fair elections in 18? And, you know, activists out there might um, take pains to try to right. ensure stop voter suppression and, um, you know, stump for your candidate in 18, because that is all part of the puzzle here.
2: But let's be, since you're going back to that question, Virginia, let's be clear what we mean by free and fair elections. You know, we all got down on on Trump quite rightly so for saying he thought the election was going to be stolen from him Mm -hmm. in 2016. I think we have to be very careful about alleging in advance you know any kind of of, of vote altering fraud Absolutely. I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen i mean i don't i don't think it's an impossibility and we have to guard against it in all sorts of ways but when we, we, i, I want to keep that issue very separate from questions of voter suppression gerrymandering which are anti-democratic and are very unfair And are not something that befits a free country having an election, but aren't fraud.
0: Right. True. And the Electoral College also not fraud. (laughs) You know, Um, that's 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 also a very good point. Right. It's it's like it's anarchic to start saying, you know, this past election was a fraud. And, you know, it also doesn't give ballast to the Mueller investigation because it sounds like sore loserdom. Yeah. You know.
2: You know, a few of these questions I think are for Jason. Jason, can you hear us in there? I can, I can so, indeed. Uh, so,
0: Jason is the producer, of the deus ex machina.
2: Jason Delion, De this is a this is a question for you uh, from Julie T. What is the source of the marching clip in our intro?
1: Well, Jacob, that's actually that's like a question for you as well, because the source <laughs> of the marching clip is that we got some uh, some boots going on in the background.
2: You're uh, talking
0: about that beginning jackboot sound. Those, those are jackboots, <laughs> and I
2: believe it is actually from the um, Nuremberg rally. That is absolutely in, from in, the in Nuremberg that, rally. In Germany. Yes. Um, but then um, <laughs> someone asks, maybe you can answer this one, Jason. Since episode one, this is from Dennis Doughty. He said... This episode one, I still can't decipher what's chanted over the Jack boots during the intro. So this
1: is the the brilliant and former producer, Henry, Henry Milofsky, Uh going back to the campaign rallies for Trump. They they had a bunch of rallies where the people were chanting, can't stump the Trump, can't stump the Trump. Yep. And that we found the, like a beautiful little clip that we figured, well, he, Henry and I went back and forth on <laughs> this. But essentially, it was just like the boots plus that. And then, like a a hard close is just beautiful. And, I so, was like,
0: <laughs> and also, no editorial there. Oh. Just goose stepping. These are just audio clips. These are just things. audio clips. it's, yeah. it's yeah. just audio.
2: And Jason changes up the rest of it almost every episode. You know, there's fresh topical stuff through quotes from Trump and what people are saying about Trump. But we keep that that little hook at the end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a beautiful hook, and I
0: think because we're fair and balanced here, we would never imply that Trump's rallies sound like Nuremberg. They just that's just an audio clip. Yeah. It sounds audio. like
1: the, the theme is supposed to sound a little bit circus-like. That was the entire point. And, yeah. But, but at the uh-huh. same time, you have overlaid clips that are kind of serious. And so it's like serious circus. It's a serious circus. So
2: We also got a question by mail from uh, Wendy Ireland in Vermont, who sent me a very nice note. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, and she wants to know whether there's any chance of an independent third party. She says she's the town chair of a small independent party in Vermont. It sounds very town hally up there. Virginia, what do you think? Could there, there be an independent third party? You know,
0: I think this is your territory. I listened to some Republicans in Texas talk about an independent party and I came away just as bewildered. Um What I mean, she's in Vermont. Wasn't that Sanders? And uh, also some people think Trump is essentially an independent. What do you think? I
2: think we have a two party system. And I think when historically third parties have their impact in America, ultimately through their influence on one of the major parties but uh, i think in modern liberal democracies for some reason they gravitate towards two party systems the founders didn't p- founders thought political parties were terrible and they certainly didn't envision a two party system but that seems to be the natural state of things and particularly in america because of the voting system we have it makes it very hard for third parties to be competitive and win so other than the you know occasional outlier like bernie sanders but even he has to co- choose which party to caucus with if he wants to have any influence in the senate so I don't ultimately think that a third party is going to be the solution here.
0: Okay, now tables are turned. I got to ask you questions. This one's from Kathy Doyle. And I like this question. And I think, you know, a lot about this. Um, She's at Doyle Kathy on Twitter. Will or should Congress react to this presidency by enacting laws to compel presidents to release tax returns and fully divest?
2: Well, of course, uh, those things are in the category of what we call norms, not laws until now. But the, the problem with passing a law saying a president has to do that is the only enforcement mechanism is impeachment, mm-hmm. right? If, you, if the president does not divest as Trump has not divest or does not release his tax returns, you kind of can't make them in any other – that's the only way you can make them. So I think these things – you're not going to amend the Constitution – To make these requirements, and whether you pass statutes requiring them, it just makes it—it underscores the expectation, and that's probably a good idea. But when it comes down to it, if you're dealing with a with a kind of outlaw president like Trump. What can you
0: do? So you mean, right, while he's in office um, and certainly retroactively with Trump, you wouldn't want to pass a law suddenly saying he has to show his tax returns. But what about during the campaign? What if, you know, like being 35 um, and being having been born in the U.S., it was a precondition for running for president, becoming president?
2: Yeah, and we sort of thought it was because presidents have, you know, it's it's been, as we say, we say a norm. Whether it would be a law, I think, gets into some tricky territory about enforcing. Are you going to decide that someone can't be on the ballot because they haven't released their tax returns? And how are you going to enforce all the standards? How many years of tax returns? How many pages of tax returns? Do they need all the other schedules? You know, true, It's true, but aren't, it's, isn't there
0: a lot of paperwork to run for president, getting on ballots and doing this and that? I mean, don't your lawyers – I don't know – have to be fingerprinted? You have to have a driver's license? I don't know.
2: No, but you, I mean, the, you you know, you don't have to pass a security check. I mean, it's, you don't want to restrict who can run for president, beyond what's in the constitution, that you have to be 35 years old. And born Did you in guys the United hear States. the
0: card-carrying member of the ACLU in this? <laughs>
2: yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm as frustrated as anybody about this, but I think it's I think it's a hard thing to to uh, enforce through law. I also don't know. think I don't think Trump has I think Trump has abridged the norm, but I don't think he's changed the norm. I think we'll go back post Trump. I hope. To it just being an assumption that someone's got to do this.
0: So um, another question for you, and this one comes from Nick Menshuber. He's at Beetle Bazzard. He says his perception is that the public's starting to numb to the Russia bombshells and Trump BS generally. Does that concern you?
2: Uh, it does concern me. And I think he's, I, I suspect he's right. I mean, I haven't seen any kind of polling or any data on that, but... First of all, the level of detail is really getting intense. You know, the last story about Manafort's emails that came out is a very good story that Frank Ford did with Julia Yaffe in The Atlantic. And, you know, I had to read it twice. I mean, I, you know, I follow this stuff. This stuff is complicated. Yeah, And most normal people are going to have the reaction like the woman whose call we listened to. You know, there are no benefits and, <laughs> long, uh, hours. and, the, and long hours and then they're long hours. And, you know, let me know bottom line for me or, you know, let me know when something really matters. But yeah. I do think we're at the stage where there are all sorts of incremental revelations that are very hard for people to process. And you you do get a little numb to it.
0: You do. I mean, I I think that a both good and sinister development on the Trump Russia score has been the, the attention to Facebook over Natalia Veselnitskaya. I mean, if the complaint about Tolstoy is a little bit the complaint about American interest in Trump-Russia, which is the names are really complicated. And it, 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 well, it,
2: You pronounced that one really well. I
0: worked on that one so hard. Um, and there's another lawyer in the mix, and I have not bothered to learn her name. Felix um,
2: Sater. I can do that one. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, that's changed. Yeah. Felix Sater changed his name from something harder so that he could become a celebrity. So I think when the story just concerned Russia and some of the stateside brokers like Paul Manafort and Ukraine and who's working for who, your mind slides off it. But, you know, lately I've been thinking that Facebook was attacked in Facebook in particular, and we can talk about Google and Twitter on other shows, but Facebook is everybody's backyard. And When there starts to be doubt in Facebook and there's already been a little bit of a sell-off, people are talking about short-selling Facebook, so that's the level of the, you know, the company. And then just there's a—I don't know if other people have encountered this. Some of this is just anecdotal, but there's—it's a troubled— space there and almost every day something comes out zuckerberg has to say something he has to offer yom kippur atonement it doesn't look good and there are you know people are talking all the way to will it be regulated like a public utility will it be regulated like the networks and facebook is american suburbia it's like the peoria of you know of uh of the internet and when it feels attacked when people can can actually see that you know there was like a 9/11 kind of thing here that there's something that got shattered in our there's a new new expression cogsec cognitive <laughs> security that our cognitive hmm. security on Facebook was breached by by Russian operations um, once that's made manifest on Facebook, once we have fake news circulating about Las Vegas, for example, you know, you may have seen that it was almost a Newtown style kind of reprocessing of that right after it happened. And that shows up in people's Facebook feeds. And they know to look for it because they know about the, the Newtown, um, you know, effort to make that a myth. And they start to feel like, well, this is like not in my backyard. I'm not talking about Complicated things to do with Cambridge Analytica and Paul Manafort anymore. I'm thinking about my grandmother and my grandchildren are all on this site and it looks fractured or desecrated or untrustworthy. That makes me think that people could respect, will still respect the size of the problem uh, with Facebook anyway. And to the extent that the Russian bombshells really show how disinformation was used during the election, which is what the congressional investigations are interested in, I think that makes it palpable. But I agree with you about the more complex stuff.
2: I'm sorry we didn't get in all the questions. We got in quite a few. And uh, it was was fun. Maybe we'll do it again sometime, Virginia.
0: I would like that.
2: Or if we can do it when Jamel's in town and we can all answer questions.
0: Jamel's got a lot of good answers for us.
2: I want to thank our listeners for sending in questions and for listening. And I want to thank Jason DeLeon, our producer, for Virginia Heffernan. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Thank you.